Welcome, everybody. everybody. This, this is, is Bite the, the Ropes. Ropes. I'm your host, Freckles. And I'm your co-host, Conley. Okay, hi, everyone. Welcome to Bite the Ropes. I am Freckles. And I am Conley. And this is, of course, Bite the Ropes. As you know, we start all of our podcasts with our Bite of the Week. My Bite of the Week this week is... Let's see. I'm going to go with grape juice and Indian food with butter chicken. That sounds amazing, actually. Well, my bite of the week is berry crunch granola and this amazing San Pellegrino Momenti lemon and raspberry drink. Oh, it's so good. And we're having a special guest here today, Miss Marilyn, we are interviewing. She's a wonderful person in our community. She is representing the Femdom community here in our wonderful state and so what is your bite of the week right now okay you two are way too healthy for me (laughs) what i ate for lunch was a big thick juicy sausage and cheese soap so that's my bite of the day Ooh, yummy sounds very good it was great i know we sound we were a simple folk compared to you um (laughs) let's see so we're pretty much going to start off with this interview we want to get to know you and how you what you've gotten into community. So my first question is, Miss Marilyn, what was your aha moment that got you into the community? You're like, wow, this is for me. My aha moment was there used to be these things called AOL chat rooms way before you two. Um, <laughs> and those AOL chat rooms, someone called me a sadist, and I told him he was so full of shit. I am the most loving, caring, nurturing woman. You know, professionally, I was a nurse. Um, Ethically, you know, I'm a Cuban-American, you know, so Cubans are these big embracing families. And Mm -hmm. that are so, you know, all inclusive and stuff. So I told him, you know, you're full of shit. And he goes, he goes, you've been beating up boys since you were 11 years old. And my answer (laughs) was, yeah, but I only beat up boys that I like. And he laughed and he told me, darling, that's why you're a sadist and you're not a psychopath. And that's when I thought, wait a minute, maybe there's something to this. So I always thought I was different than everyone else, or at least I was different from everyone I knew. You know, the the things Mm -hmm. that fascinated me just didn't fascinate other people. I literally had been punishing and beating on boys since I was like 11 years old. And when he called me a sadist, I decided there must be other people out there like me. I didn't have trouble meeting men, but I wanted to know if there's other women like me. So I looked it up online and the only thing I found was a professional site. And I went to it. I dragged one of my friends with me and I had nothing in common with those women. They were professional dominatrixes. They, it was the place that I went now. And I have a lot of friends that are pros. So please understand that this was the specific place I went at that specific time. Mm -hmm. We're talking Mm -hmm. about the mid 1990s. Mm -hmm. Okay. And all they were about exploiting men. She was actually the dominatrix I was speaking with was actually a slave to the owner. And she was talking about how stupid the men were and look at all the crazy shit that she had to do. And they were discussing and it was like, I just, I mean, I was like flabbergasted. It was like, okay, this is not like me. And the girl I was with, my best friend, Liz, she hit me and they call me Mimi. My family does. And she goes, okay, Mimi, are you ready to admit that you're one of a kind? Let's get the fuck out of here. 
And we did. <laughs> we left. And I figured, okay, this guy was wrong. There aren't other women like me. And then I ran into a gay magazine and there was an article and it said, Ramrod, where we make boys cry. And I thought, holy shit, I've been making boys cry my entire life. I love it. So I decided to show up. Liz refused to go with me. She's a lesbian and didn't want to go to a gay male bar. Mm -hmm. right. And I walked in and there was this little store inside of it. And the guy was actually outside the counter. And he said something smart, Alec, to me, like, hey, little girl, are you lost or something like that? Mind you, I had these, you know, six inch heels, tits out to here. I, and, and I go, no, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. He goes, you're at a gay male's bar. And I go, yeah, but you like to make boys cry. And so do I. So he just started laughing. And he decided he was going to give me a tour of the place. He was going to try to shock me. Nothing shocked me. I was fascinated by everything. And that's where I found my home amongst a whole bunch of gay leathermen. And that was my home for years before I found the het community. Oh, that is amazing. beautiful. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I really lucked out. He was really well known in the community. He was big into community service. He was a major fister is what he was known for. And um, so I lucked out because he's just showed me so much and opened my eyes to so many things that I didn't know were possible. Would you say, was he, was he like a mentor? Have you ever had like a mentor? Because you're known in our community, like you're like the top dog. Like you like do everything. You do everything. It's like, Darling, I said you had to be, Freckles, I said to be nice to me. I didn't say you had to be kissed ass. I am definitely not top dog. I might be the old fart. The old fart. I might be top dog. Maybe not. Most, ex um, well, most experienced, you know, like someone, like someone who's new, I would recommend, you know, Miss Marilyn is the one you ask because well, she has you. done a bit of everything. I consider that a has, compliment. Of course. Did you ever have a mentor in your lifestyle career? Or I did consider, life? I consider Eric my mentor. He wasn't an official mentor. Like we never sit down and say, oh, I'm going to mentor you. But the path that he put me on was one that completely changed my life. He wanted, I became very close to him and his husband at the time. His husband at the time, his name was Derek, of course, not legal because marriage wasn't legal between gay men way back then. Mm -hmm. um, he embraced me. He embraced my son. My son was a toddler at the time. And we spent so much time with them. And so it went beyond just going to bars and learning more and more about the leather scene um, and taking it beyond BDSM. I didn't even know about a leather scene. I just knew about being kinky. And he just opened so many doors for me. He's the one that talked me into running for a title. Okay. And that just opened so many more doors for me. Um, it's just, I, there is this whole world I didn't know about. And because of him, I learned it. And because of my loyalty to him, things that I would never have done, like run for a title, um, I went ahead and I did. So, yes, I definitely consider him my mentor. That's Very wonderful. cool. Very cool. So, Miss Marilyn, as, as a dominant, as a sadist 
um, well, you know, a lot of us, well, a lot of us here in the South Florida community, we're, we're familiar with you more or less, you know, in, in terms of your professional background and your experience. But, you know, we do have folks who are tuning in from from other parts. What would you say? I mean, can you talk about your your kinks and, and how your professional background um, plays into that? I OK, so I believe that everybody has like a comfort zone, an area where they feel safe. And that's where you're supposed to play at. You can like breach the line, like just play really close to the line. And that's where the edge is. When somebody is called an edge player, you're playing right on the edge of what is safe and what is not safe. But your safety zone is different than mine. And what, where I lucked out was by the time I entered the community and the boys were trying to freak me out with all the stuff they did, nothing freaked me out. Because I had been a trauma nurse for a number of years. So I'm now retired, but I was actually a critical care trauma nurse for 29 years. Right. So my comfort zone is different than the average person's. Does that make any sense? Definitely. And that definitely makes great sense. You know, in other words, if if you faint on me, I'm not going to freak out. Okay. Right. Because you're prepared for it. Exactly. In other words, it's something that's that's common nature to me. I don't freak out about it because I think, oh, okay. So her body decided to zone out for a little while. Am I going to continue to play? Am I going to give her time to wake up? You know, is she zeezing or does she just faint? You know, these are things that my brain just automatically goes through. So therefore, it doesn't take me out of my play mode. Right. So where people think that being a nurse makes you a better player, I don't agree what I do professionally or what I did professionally since I'm retired, what I did professionally and what I do in kink are two different things. The mindset is different. The type of play is different. You know, being with a patient never turns me on. Right. Um, but what it does do is it gives you a different comfort zone. Definitely. You know, it's like I, I relate it to, you know, how with that show Chopped. And it's like, well, if they take you to a show (laughs) and they tell you, make a dish in Uh 20 minutes, you're going to freak out. Uh But if Uh you've been a chef for 15 years, it's like, give it to me. I'll figure it out. Well, it's the same thing. I had a nursing background. So it's like, throw an emergency at me. I don't care. I could figure it out. So that's what gave me the comfort to be able to play harder and harder and harder. Right. Cause you're comfortable in that, in your professional life. I'm comfortable with the human body. Right. Very interesting. Cause I was watching your, so we just, as you know, we both just had BL, Beyond Leather. Yeah. Um, I was watching, uh, it's, what's it called? Edge or edging where you um, talked about, you know, peeling skin and um, you did, cuts on volunteers yes. and you know me I was first of all of course on the bottom I wouldn't want to do the cutting but my background is just I'm not used to sharp objects not experienced with it so for me it's all completely different comfort zone compared to what you're used to exactly because you're used to doing it so it's right. not as squeamish as for someone new absolutely what one of the things that I believe that you have to do when when you're a sadist and when you're a top or a dominant, 
is you have to let go of your ego. That's the sign of a responsible dominant is their lack of ego. I have no problem saying that I don't know how to do something. So someone can come to me the first time I cut someone. They came to me and said, oh, I wanted to be cut. You know, I want to be cut. And my thing is, well, you know, I've never cut anyone except at work. And they go, what do you mean you cut people at work? And I go, well, you know, this is what I do at work and this is what I have to do. So the first time that someone had asked me to do a peel, you know, what I thought of is when I worked with burn patients and we needed to peel away all the SCAR, which is this protein buildup that they get on their skin. And it's like, do I feel comfortable with a scalpel? Because basically that's what you have to do is feel comfortable with a scalpel. You have to be comfortable with the skin and you have to feel comfortable with the scalpel. You have to have a, a steady hand. And I knew I had these things, even though I had never done it. So I could honestly say to the person, I've never done it, but I feel comfortable trying because of this, 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 and this reason, if you're willing to be my guinea pig. And then, of course, I seduce them by letting them know they're going to build a forever memory because mm -hmm. I'll always remember they were the first person I caught and all this other stuff because seduction goes into everything. Definitely. All right. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Just I love it. <laughs> and would you say that on, you know, on, on some level that fear is something that factors into your style of play? Like, you know, things like fear play, things like, you know, the element of surprise, like factor into, into what you do? Yes. The reason for that is because I really do consider myself a generally nice person. So therefore... I like flipping it on them. I like making them doubt whether I'm actually as nice as I appear. So if I can give them any doubt when I'm playing with them, I just have to put that little bit of doubt in their mind. Then I've tapped into their fear. It's sort of like, you know how when you go see a horror film and you, there's this blonde and she's going to open the door and you're saying, idiot don't open the damn door you know you're supposed exactly. to find that door mm -hmm. but exactly. meanwhile when she opens the door you still jump <laughs> right so it's the yeah. same thing it's just that little itty bitty doubt so if i can put a little bit of doubt in someone's mind by flipping it on them mm -hmm. okay then i can play with fear and then their experience has been elevated because if like conley you come to me and you say, okay, can you pierce my face? Yes. And I say, sure. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. You came to me because you know I've done it and you know I can do it. Right. But if I can do something to change it up from the experience that you had in mind, okay, now I've created a memory. Because now it's just not you wanting to fulfill a fantasy that you had. Now it became my fantasy. I became oh, I an intricate person in it. So oh, that's wow. why when people say, oh, well, you know, um, I don't allow anyone to top from the bottom. And I was like, well, first of all, the first thing you need to know is that bottoms have the best fantasies because they've been thinking about this stuff forever. <laughs> Definitely. So tap into it. All you have to do is get their fantasy, learn all about it. And then all you have to do is just flip it just a little bit. And now it's become yours. And now you, you change the, 
their mindset. I call it building real estate in someone's mind. What you do is you change it from what they had been envisioning and what they had been thinking of for years and what they were probably getting off on. And by flipping mm-hmm. it just a little bit, you actually bought that piece of real estate in their mind and made it your own. And now you're going to own that piece of them forever. And I'm big into owning people. So you oh, own yeah. that piece <laughs> of their brain forever. I love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, I never, I never took that into, into account before. Um, I really consider myself the type of bottom who is like somebody who creates a lot of different, you know, I, I, I do, I, I fantasize a lot, but like, I've never taken it in that, in that context. That's just, that's fascinating. And right now you're, you're causing me to question my whole reality. <laughs> but I'm like questioning are. my whole reality right now. Cause it's just so amazing. But Conley, you are someone that has a wonderful imagination and you're very daring. And because you are a masochist, you like taking things to the next level. So therefore your brain can go there. It thinks outside of the box. Yes. Okay. So since you can think outside of the box, when you trust someone, you know, with this taboo fantasy that you have in your mind, you know, that's a gift you're giving them. Yes. But they have to get something in return. Yes, absolutely. And the way that I get it in return is by just changing it up just a little bit. So now it's not just about you. Now it's also about me and what I yes. added to it. I love it. I love it too. Great. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's see. So you have a lot of experience, obviously. What would you give? I'm old as fuck. I'm 64. Doesn't if look like have, it if to I us. Didn't, if I didn't have a lot of experience, that would be bad. <laughs> That's fair. Um, how would you, so two, this is a two-part question. How would you help a new person in the lifestyle um, who's just dipping in their um, toe-in? They come from a vanilla background, but they really do find kink interesting. And how would you help a femdom get into the scene or help pave a path there because I've noticed in my what five years of doing this femdom femme domination has become very popular and it's become more and more accepted yes so which I think is beautiful every day I'm all for it so how would you help a new um, whatever they identify as to get into that femdom space but to make it um, productive if you could be a mentor for someone else Okay, so are these two separate questions? Yes, two separate questions. So number one was just someone coming into the community. Yes. I tell them to enjoy themselves. You know, they're jumping into this wonderful rabbit hole where there's going to be so much to see and so much to witness. Something's going to resonate with them and other things are going to turn them off. Uh Just enjoy it. You know, this is your life, your journey. Just go out there and have fun. Be happy. Life is about being happy. And it's a choice that you have to make every day. So go out there and explore. Be safe about it. You know, but explore all the different things there are out there. You know, look at them before you try them. And see which one resonates for you. Because the truth is that at some point in your journey, you're going to decide that this is something I do. 
this is something that's not for me, or this is who I am. And that's when things have to change up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's three different things. This is just something that they're exploring, they're looking at, but that's really not for them. Two, they realize they really like this and they enjoy it. They're having a lot of fun. Or three, this is not just who I am. I mean, not just what I do, but this is who I am. In other words, my sexual identity is kink. Mm -hmm. This right. is who like, I am. Mm -hmm. Like when people say, oh, because, you know, what about your vanilla life? I don't separate it. This is who I am 24 mm -hmm. hours a day. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't play a role depending on who I'm with. Right. Sure, I'm not going to tell everybody about everything because it's going to freak them out. Right. You know, <laughs> but I don't change personas. This is just who I am. Right. So, like, give an example. I'm naturally submissive. So in my vanilla life, I'm submissive. In my lifestyle life, I'm submissive. They go interchangeably. Right. So in your life, you are dominant, um, whether it be soft sadist, depending on the situation at the certain moment in your entire life. There's no switch where it's like, I am regularly submissive in my professional life and like to be dominant in my lifestyle life. It's interchangeable. It's all the same. Okay. Except that you use sadist and dominant together. Okay. I am not mm -hmm. a sadist with everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Say right. being a sadist, I'm not an emotional sadist. I'm a physical sadist. Mm -hmm. So I'm a sadist when I'm playing physically with someone. Mm -hmm. I am not an emotional sadist. In other words, I don't get off on making people feel bad. I'm mm -hmm. a very controlled individual. So even when there's an asshole around me, I tend to become even more and more controlled because I don't allow them to push my buttons. Mm -hmm. Okay. So being a dominant and being a sadist are two totally different things. Right. Or at least in my world, because we're talking about my world right now. Mm -hmm. um, so being a dominant, yes, I'm, I'm a naturally assertive individual, you know, no matter mm -hmm. what I'm doing, mm -hmm. you know, um, at some times, you know, I need to be brought down a notch. You know, it's like my brother every once in a while, he'll just, him and my son look at each other and they salute each other, which says that I'm getting a little bit bossy, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, or my son will say, Hey mom, give them that look. I don't know what <laughs> look he's talking about, but apparently there's a look. Um, so, so yeah, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Cause I know people have, there some people as you know we said like have that switch okay um and sorry i'm totally regretted my last question about you helping if you had if you had to mentor someone new um who identified or who liked the idea of being a femdom how what advice would you give um i'm guessing is it somewhat similar to what a vanilla person as you said earlier bringing them into the lifestyle as well It's very similar. Like I get approached often and people mm -hmm. will ask me, you know, how can I be a better dominant or how can I be a better submissive? And my answer is the same to both. Become a better human. Mm -hmm. If you become a better human, you'll become a better whatever it is that you are. And who you are today might not be where you're going to be three years from now. You know, it's a journey and it's going to take a lot of 
you know, different turns and you might find that there's something else that fascinates you, a different role. I know a lot of people that have entered as a submissive and then become a dominant or the other way around, you know, that wasn't my experience, but it is the experience of a lot of people. So just work on being the best person you could be. Integrity is so important, you know, especially when you're living off of mainstream society. Um, so just learn who you are, learn why something fascinates you, you know, steady yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, we put so much time and effort into studying other things when we should be studying why we are the way we are, what mm -hmm. makes us tick? Why do we feel something that someone else doesn't feel that way? Or why do we think a certain way? Why is our thought process different? When it comes to women and domination, this is a really, it, it, this would take like a whole nother hour. So we really can't. <laughs> um, I don't consider myself a female supremacist. Society considers me a female supremacist because I believe that men, I believe it's all about the woman. I believe women give life and therefore it's, it's part of man's DNA to serve a woman. Now, some men have to serve them from the top because there are women that have been domesticated and therefore have forgotten what a magnificent being they are. And therefore, it's the man can serve the woman better by being their dominant. But it's always about the pussy, honey. The pussy rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so, so therefore, the reason I don't consider myself a female supremacist is because I do not believe that men are inferior to me. I believe they are different than I am. Mm -hmm. So if a young dominant were to come to me, I would explain to them that they need to study who they are. They need to study what makes them different from other women and what makes them worthy of having someone serve them. Because not unless you can figure out what makes you worthy of being served, will you ever be able to be comfortable, not only with being served, but good enough for those that are trying to serve you. Mm -hmm. So you have to know who you are. Um, so that would be the first thing I would tell them. And then I would just have them tap into that strength. You know, so many people love being pampered and they don't understand that when you're being pampered, if you go to a, to a salon to get pampered or you go to a spa to get pampered, you know, you go shopping and you have someone help you pick out the clothes you're going to wear. All those <laughs> things are things that people are providing a service. The only thing is that you're paying them for this service. But mm -hmm. if you can tap into that energy, that energy that says, yes, you should be here doing things for me and taking care of me, you know, then you can tap more and more into that female energy that you have as a dominant. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're paying someone to give you a pedicure, there's an exchange of money. So you're paying them. You yeah. don't pay a submissive with money. You don't even pay them 
with your time. What you're doing is you're paying them with the safety that you're able to give them by being a female dominant. By being a female dominant, if you think about women and you think about historically women and their ability to create a nest and to create a safety within that nest, that's what you're doing for the submissive. You're creating a, 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 a place where they can explore who they are without judgment. You're creating a place where they could actually be themselves. That doesn't mean you're going to like or you're going to be drawn to all of their kinks. But it means that they're going to feel comfortable enough to discuss these kinks with you. And by discussing it, you're giving it life. You're giving it power. It's not the mm -hmm. act of fulfilling someone's kink that gives it power. It's the freedom that you're giving this person to allow themselves to embrace their shadow self and to be able to explore it with you. The physical is secondary. The mind is the most powerful organ in the body. It's incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, you know, I've definitely um, delved into and, and read, you know, things in regards to embracing the shadow self. I believe that BDSM and kink are amazing ways of doing that. Um, so say ownership means to you and, and how does service play a role in that? My love language is service. So therefore, if you're familiar at all with you know, the five love languages. And if you're not, look it up. It's a mainstream book written by a Methodist preacher. I think he was Methodist, but we could all use it. And it talks about what a person's love language is, which is basically how best to communicate with the person. My love language is service. You want to communicate with me? Provide a service. That's the best way to get my attention. And it's funny because it's not, remember how we talked about that I don't have, I don't separate who I am? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, even when my birthday's coming up or something, my nieces and nephews, you know, they'll, they'll call me and they'll say, okay, what is it you want us to do for you? Because they know that for me, that's even more important than a gift. Oh. You know, yes, mm -hmm. I want my bedroom painted or yes, I want to build a cabin here. or Yes, I want to do this. They know these, uh -huh. that these acts are worth more to me, you know, mm -hmm. than buying me a, you know, something that I'll forget in three months who it is that gave it to me. Right. Right. They're building real estate. They're really, they're building. Yeah. And in my heart, because now we're not <laughs> talking about my mind. We're talking about my heart because it's my love language. Right. So service is the way to get to me. And for me, service isn't about me asking someone for something. It's them wanting to give it to me because they know that I need it. Mm -hmm. In other words, an example, like I have a leather family and yes. they all know that I hate driving. Yes. They already know it. So why should I have to repeatedly ask them if they could give me a ride somewhere? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so instead... I wait. If somebody says, hey, can I drive you here? Then I say yes. 
you know, and if they don't, guess what? I'm very capable of driving. I do have my own car, even though I really don't like driving. Right. right. You know, but the act that someone actually is giving you something because they know that it's something you would want as opposed to them doing it because you've requested it of them. They're both beautiful, but one is more powerful. Yeah, it's um, it comes like the way I think of it is it comes from the heart when they ask you because they already anticipate that's what you want. Right. You know, and it's not it's not a blind. You might have been with these people for years and you might ask, but I feel like it's it's the actual service. It's the the love of doing it. Right. It's that extra step that someone took an extra (laughs) step for you. Right. It's like when somebody shows up with a gift for no other reason than they saw something that reminded them of you. That means that when mm-hmm. you're not together, they thought of you. That's a wonderful and feeling. That's very powerful. That's mm-hmm. a wonderful mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful. So ownership gets very complicated because right now I don't own anyone. I am, mm-hmm. I'm surrounded by a sea of submissive boys and dominance. Those are uh, those are the people that I'm the closest to. Um, mm-hmm. Life has changed very much in South Florida over the years, right. mm-hmm. and the slave heart, the slave mentality that I'm drawn to, is no longer as widely seen. Mm-hmm. Yes, as it was once. It's actually very well hidden. We've become more about. Uh, play and less about service yes that's true mm-hmm. that's true so for me ownership is is a huge responsibility it means that um that someone has trusted you to make the decisions for their life and therefore i have to be confident enough to know that i'm responsible enough with my own life that i can take the responsibility of someone else it doesn't end when the collar's removed. You know, it continues. Mm-hmm. Because once your mind feels you're responsible for someone, it's okay. not like if you can turn off the switch and say, okay, I'm no longer responsible. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So ownership is deep. And it's something I seek. So anyone out there, okay, that has a slave heart, please look me up. Definitely, yes. Boy, that's why I did that podcast. Look at that free advertising. Yeah, there you go. I like that. There you go. I I 100% feel you um, because I have a very big service heart. You know, I'm a submissive. I don't have a slave heart, but I have a big service heart. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard, I feel, these days, especially in our area, to find a dominant female who appreciates and loves the service heart as much as the gifting or play heart. So times have changed. Yes. South Florida is definitely a play area. Yes. And, but understand that the difference between a submissive heart and a slave heart is the amount of responsibility that comes with it. It's Mm -hmm. when a submissive, when, when someone has a submissive heart, okay, you're still, the dominant still has to constantly be aware of who they are, where they are, what their limits are, 
you have to be very aware of their self-esteem and how not to damage it. These are mm-hmm. all things that you're accepting responsibility for. When someone has a slave's heart, the difference in my world, okay, I didn't write the Bible of BDS, <laughs> so I'm just giving you my opinion. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, what differentiates the two is that a slave can find his ultimate happiness by making me happy. So therefore, I do not have to be as concerned about his self-esteem or his limits as I do with a submissive. So I have more freedom to be myself. A slave is really the only person that gets me 100%. Because I don't have to... I don't have to buffer who I am in order to be with that person because their happiness is dependent on my happiness. Mm -hmm. So if the only way they can be happy is by making me happy, I don't have to worry as much about their self-esteem. I don't have to worry much about their limits because I'm a responsible enough individual that I already know all this before I accept ownership. And therefore, it just gets incorporated into who I am. Does that make any sense? Like I said, that's something that could take like another. Yeah, no, it really does. It gets deeper into the psychology of of ownership and what we do. Play is so easy to talk about. Right, exactly. Exactly. The opposite is much deeper. Mm -hmm. Like, as you know, I have my my group of gals. Yes. I serve. Who Um, I admire. I love them all to death. Yes. And there are a few slaves, one, I'm not going to out anyone, but um, that you can really feel the love in the relationship Mm -hmm. and the ownership that this female has um, and that his devotion towards her is so beautiful. And he takes so much pain, so much um, things that she wants. And it's so wonderful that he's so happy, right? Out of the love that he has for her and the true slave heart that he has. And, you know, as a, like, when I think of a submissive heart, it's just a little bit, it's not as much, I guess it's, it's, you know, um, responsibility is always there, of course, for the D type, but um, I'm not giving up all my control compared to a slave heart is what I Right. I don't know if it's, it's as much as it's not the control. It's, it's just, mm-hmm. in other words, it's not that one is better than the other. It's right. raw different, mm-hmm. you know, and who knows, maybe someday you'll find someone that all of a sudden a switch changes for you and something changes because we don't know what mm-hmm. our, where our journey is going to take us in life. Right. Okay. But for, for some people, like let's say the male slave, Mm -hmm. So the male slave, there's a lot of male slaves that they do not consider themselves masochist. Mm -hmm. You know, they consider themselves a slave and they go, yeah, but you like the pain. Is it because it's a challenge? Is it because you get to zone out? Is it because the endorphin rush? And they'll say, no, I don't get any of those things. Then why do you put up with it? Because look at the way she laughs. Mm -hmm. How happy she feels. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets them off is that they're right. able to do something for the, for, for their owner 
okay, mm-hmm. that makes them happy. And remember what I said, that a slave's in my world, the difference is that a slave's ultimate happiness can only come by making their owner happy. That's where they find the purpose in their life. Right. That's beautiful. That's so true. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a a beautiful thing. Like I I related to like, when you think about nuns and the way that they've devoted their their life to the church or a monk. Yes, yes. That they have like a, a higher devotion. Right. And they wear, they wear like a, a ring and everything. You know, yeah. So, so, so that's devotion. my thing is that they've decided that they, this is a person they've, they have seen this person and they have decided this person is worthy of my life. And therefore I am going to live for this person. Right. And that's like, come on, that's a heady thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, fuck Titanic and all those movies. Yeah, that's, you know, there's nothing like the devotion of a slave. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 an owner property dynamic to you would would that also include you know like a, a romantic element as well, or would it be you know solely, or would that be separate from? It depends. I've 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 had slaves that I'm sexual with, and right. I have friend uh, slaves that I have not been sexual with. Right. So it really depends because everything depends on, you know, the energy, the connection, the chemistry. Right. You feel different things with different people. So when you're being your authentic self, you cannot fake an emotion that's not there because you're being disrespectful to yourself and you're being disrespectful to your dynamic and you're being disrespectful to that person. So therefore, you're really chipping away at your magnificence by not being true to yourself. So you can't fake chemistry. Exactly. So you have to see what your connection is with that person. That's fascinating. I think that's just, you know, the... It's, It's hard to find, you know, like, I feel like these conversations are so beautiful because they're true and it's just you don't hear it so often anymore and you really have to go into go to events have a certain amount of circles to really hear these things but it's just so wonderful because obviously everyone has their own idea of what a dynamic will look like and what an eldership would look like but it just seems so natural for it to be that way which i think it's great but it's hard to find the puzzle piece. It's hard to find the puzzle piece. You look underneath the rug, underneath the couch. It's mm-hmm. never there. And then eventually you find it in the end. And you'll find someone that that on paper seems to be everything you would want. Mm-hmm. And then you meet them live and you think they're a fascinating, wonderful individual. But mm-hmm. I don't feel a connection. And if I don't feel a connection, that's exploitation. And if I exploit mm-hmm. them that's chiseling away at my magnificence. If I chisel away at my, my, at my magnificence, then I'm not worthy of being served. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's, it's difficult. Yes. You know, it is difficult, but please understand that that is South Florida. Other regions mm-hmm. are different. Florida has become a play zone. Okay, it wasn't always like this. And you can go to other parts of the country that still have a lot of slave households. 
Yeah, Virginia you know. is a pretty good place for that. Yes. Yeah. Virginia, and the master, more further the up master slave convention, mm-hmm. which is up in DC in yeah. September. I mean, that gets like a thousand people go to it. Oh yeah. You know, it's yeah, huge. I've heard of it, yeah. You know, yes, so yeah. so it really it depends where you're at, the region you're at, and where the pendulum is swinging in your region. And right now we're in a play state. It might swing back the other way. It's true. I think that's really switched the last two years. So I started, what, 2017? Um, and I feel like that was still the dynamic swing. And I feel like the last two years have been very play-oriented. Um, and not a lot of long haulers either. No. A lot of people dipping their toes in. And, and they just disappear. Disappear as well. But that's fine if that's their journey. I don't have that's an issue true. with that. You know, not everyone is going to decide that this is their life or not anyone, not everyone is strong enough to live outside of mainstream society. Mm-hmm. They'll dip their toes in it. They'll love it, but they'll decide, you know what? It's time to settle down. It's time to grow up. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they live in mainstream society. And then when they're 40 something, they start having affairs and trying to look for right. pro doms. Exactly. You know, because yeah. if it's a part of your psyche, it's going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you might close the door on your shadow self, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so it and like you had said that now you see more female dominance. When I started in the 1990s, mm-hmm. there were five female dominance. Now, mind you, there was a lot of pro doms, but mm-hmm. women that would actually go to events that were not pro dom events. There was five of them of those five. Three of them were pro doms. In other words, they were lifestyle doms and pro doms. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other two were me and a woman that switched. <laughs> okay. I mean, I was high commodity back there. No wonder I could get <laughs> left and right. You know, now I'm the old lady on the block. Uh, so no. And so, so the thing is that little by little, you know, it has swung. Blood sports were not very widely done back then. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like a handful of us that would do them and that's it. Now we have play parties that are just about blood. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so everything changes. It swings one way or the other and maybe it'll go back the other way again. Or maybe this whole, you know, all these millennials will bring something even more <laughs> fascinating to the future. You know, because... True. We have to change. Anything that stays stagnant dies. It's true. I feel like we have changed a lot um, in our lifestyle just by the different types of people coming in, um, different expectations, um, even how we change events. So like you're an event host. So how has that journey been um, for you? Like when did you start and what made you kind of be like, wow, like I like like we providing need, you know? mm-hmm. a service to the community because you're obviously doing that <laughs> ironically as it sounds you're giving such a great service to our south florida community but what you host when i started the the little logo the little i can't my cubans coming out i can't remember the word for it <laughs> um the little saying back then was each one teach one mm-hmm. in other words you didn't have to become an expert you just had to have knowledge of something and pass it on to someone else. 
because that's when everybody was coming out of the closet and people were starting to play more publicly, mm-hmm. you know, so it was each one teach one. So, like I said, I came out through the male, mm-hmm. the male, gay male, um, Leatherman, which by the way, the female lesbians did not accept me at all back then since I didn't, I wouldn't, I'd never said I was a lesbian. I would always say my, that I was kink. Um, so when I started going to head event within a couple of years, I became the president. There was only one membership club back then in South Florida. It was called spice. Mm-hmm. And I became, I was on the board and I was the president for a couple of years. And that's how I started. Now, when you said you were service oriented, so am I, mm-hmm. I believe service is the heart of leather. I believe that's one of the way to tell the difference between someone that's into BDSM and someone that proclaims to be leather, whether you're a top or a bottom, dominant, submissive, slave or whatever. Okay. You will have a service heart. I have a service heart. I believe in giving back to that, that I believe in. If I want, I believe we have a responsibility to make things the way we want them to be. So therefore, my responsibility is to provide whatever service I would like to see out there that someone else is not providing. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I became an event host. They talked me into it, by the way. I really didn't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah, they really had to talk. And that's because we had so much drama and I've never been about drama. Right. Remember, it was one big group. It's not like now that there's it's so fragmented that each each little entity has their own group right. that they can hang mm-hmm. out with people that are like them mm-hmm. you know back then we all hung out together so of course there was going to be more drama right um and now i just every time something comes around and i think you know what why doesn't miami still have a munch so we started the miami munch again right you know oh you know now i'm doing the dominant round table oh he's leaving sure we'd love to take over the dominant round table because this is what i would want different Whenever I think of, oh, I would want to do something different, then it's just part of my personality to say, okay, I'll do it, especially now that I'm retired. Mm -hmm. So, no, I think running a group is wonderful. I think teaching is wonderful. I don't think that it should be limited to people that have been out there a long time. You know, like, I hate this imposter syndrome that the millennials always discuss. Because the truth is, everyone has an imposter syndrome. Everyone wonders if we're enough. And the truth is, we are enough. If you see a need and you're the one that steps forward to do it, that's what made you enough, was taking the step that others refused to take. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I love being an event host and... And doing all this stuff. Yes, it could be draining, but I like it. I like Mm -hmm. that it makes me stay in touch with what's going on and makes me want to think more and learn more. Mm Because I think I can learn so much because everybody has a different viewpoint and just listening to other people's viewpoints or what fascinates them, you know, can make my imagination go wild and make me grow in a different area. Right. I think it's also just very inspiring, you know, because I, if there, as you, as we talked about, there's so many events that have popped up. Yes. You know, in, even in the last, even when COVID started, 
yes there's been so many new events and right. new flares and it's like it's great because everyone can kind of pick and choose where they want to go and it's not just one place once a month at the same time it feels very divided i think it feels kind of like like oh like you know so and so doesn't like so and so so they go and they create their own group and you know it feels very divided at the same time yes unfortunately every positive has a negative and every negative has a positive so yes becoming fragmented has taken away the sense of community that we once had in South Florida. Mm -hmm. We all knew each other at one point, you know, and now there's so many different groups that that's not no longer the case. Now, Harvey and Laura used to do the Christmas picnics. Right. Right. Which Mm -hmm. were wonderful because all the different communities of the Tri-County area contributed to it and everybody came Mm -hmm. out. So, so it was a big family reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, due to COVID, that was stopped. I'm hoping that when things, when we're no longer living under this plague, they'll be able to restart it. It was a lot of work, and I admire them for taking on such a task. Yes. Um, it was, mm-hmm. And it would be wonderful if it was, you know, if it was restarted. Um, because we have lost some of that sense of community. So we're a community among a whole bunch of little fragments. Right. You know, it's I just this big one big community that we used to be. Right. I agree. I remember those those picnics were so nice because you see people that you haven't seen in the year and you would you know all come together and I remember events where they would say, Hey, we're fundraising for the picnic. Exactly. And yeah, that was we nice. all had that common goal of like we're all we're all gonna see each other at the picnic. Yes. That was really yeah. nice. Yes. And even if you didn't make a lot of friends there, or even if you didn't see a lot of people that you hadn't seen, it was the idea that you are one big South Florida family. Right. Even if you don't know each other, you know, like these are my people. I might not know them, but I know they're my people. Mm-hmm. And that, that's nice. It is. You know, we all like to know that there are others out there that we might be able to turn to if we needed help. So I loved it. It's a big old family reunion. Definitely. It's like going to BL does that, going to Florida Power Exchange does that. You know, it gives you a sense of that you're among your people. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. And so... Finally, Miss Marilyn, I wanted to ask you because we we know you have this amazing, you lead this amazing leather family and you you guys, you guys coordinate events and all that. Like what does leather mean to you? Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so leather for me means that I have accepted that I am not a part of mainstream society because I am willing to take responsibility for my own life and my own journey. I will not allow others to dictate what is right and what is wrong for me. I will not allow others to dictate what my core values will be. I will not allow others to dictate my morality. I myself am responsible for all those things that I will look into myself, decide what is right and what is wrong in my life. And this is how I will leave it lead it. So therefore, I am not a part of mainstream society. I am a part 
of a subculture that has accepted responsibility for their own journey in life. And that's what makes me service oriented. And that's what makes me leather. So I believe the heart of leather is service. And the action of leather is accepting responsibility for your own journey in life. So I don't think you have to be kinky. I don't think you have to be in BDSM. I believe you just have to know that you've accepted responsibility for your own journey. Amazing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Well, Miss Marilyn, Miss Sensual Sadist, thank you so much. Thank you you so much for this amazing interview. It it has been so enlightening to talk to you um, because it's very nostalgic. Yeah. And also just, we've talked to people on this podcast. They are all wonderful people. But, um, and I'm trying not to kiss your ass as much as I <laughs> I'm really trying not to. Darling, you know, I do like my ass kissed. Hold on, <laughs> as much as I want. But like, thank you for coming on the show because I feel like it's good for our listeners to understand what the lifestyle was like and how it's changed, but also like that swings can happen. Because I feel now these days, it kind of feels like things will never change. Um, and it's nice knowing that they can always change. Well, I thank you all for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I thank you for doing this. I want you to know that I sent the monarchs a message this morning. I said, why the fuck didn't we ever start one of these? (laughs) This is a really good idea. Definitely. I, I am not into computers. I am not into phones. That's why you lost me. <laughs> and um, but they're millennials and Gen yeah, Z. for sure. It's like, why the heck did you all do this? This was a great idea. I think that you all are doing a fantastic job. It's so much fun. It's so, so much I think fun. It's wonderful that you all thought of it and that you're doing it and that you're going to reach other people that might question, you know, where this is something that they might think, mm, maybe this is something I want to explore. Definitely. Definitely. So congratulations on this podcast. I think it's wonderful that you're doing this. Thank you so thank much. You so much. And, I, and again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to do this for us. But, you know, so thank you, folks. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Be with us next time. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Adios. Bye-bye.